Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. In the verses just prior to the text that we're about to look at, if you just jump up to, what is it, verse 33 and 34, we talked about this last week, but Jesus has just finished explaining to his disciples in probably the clearest terms up to this point in his ministry of what he is about to go through. He says, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be spit upon, I'm ultimately going to be killed. I mean, he, he's, he doesn't mince any words, he makes it very clear, it's as specific as he can be. But I want you to see in verse 35 what two of his disciples, this is James and John, who, if you know James, John, and Peter would be considered often the inner circle of the disciples. So we've got two of these men that are in part of the inner circle. I want you to see what they do. Verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Now just think about the, I don't know, the irony, the, the brazenness of what they're doing. Jesus has just told them, I'm about to suffer everything for you. And they say, hey, Jesus, we got something we'd like from you. By the way, the only, you notice how they say it? It's kind of the way my daughter comes to me with a question. Daddy, would you do anything in the world for me? Of course I would, darling. Anything in the world for you? Knowing full well she's got something up her sleeve that um, I might not want to do. That's how these men come to Jesus. Jesus, would you do anything for us? And, they, and, he's, and Jesus is a little wiser than I am. Look what he says in verse, uh, uh, verse 36. He says, and he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? He says, what do you want me to do? What you got on your mind? Well, don't you, you play your cards first. What do you want? And they tell him. Verse 37, they said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. James and John are coming to Jesus with personal ambitions. They want something from Jesus. They want to be on the right hand and the left hand, which even in our culture today, that would, we would understand that's the, that's the boss man and you're standing up there beside of him. Those people that flank the boss, that's clearly the important people. But in their culture, that would have absolutely been the most important positions to be in. The right hand would have been the most important. The left hand would have been a lesser position, but nonetheless more important than not beside of him. So they would have seen that these were very important. They are seeking, and you'll see as we go through this, they are seeking to have preeminence over other people. It sounds like they want to have closeness with Jesus, right? We just want to be beside of you. No, that's not what they want. They want to be over other people. They don't really want proximity to Jesus. They want preeminence over others. And ultimately, they're not expressing their loyalty to Jesus. You would think, well, we want to be with you because we love you. It's not about loyalty to Jesus. It's about their own selfishness, about what they want to accomplish. They're overlooking the pain and the suffering and the hurt 
and the death that Jesus would endure. They're overlooking all of that. That's what Jesus just talked to them about. They're overlooking all of that, and what they're doing is they're focusing on something that you might not have picked up on in verses 33 and 34, but they're picking up on a phrase that Jesus referred to himself as called the Son of Man. Now, to you and me, because we've been in church for a while, we kind of ignore that phrase. That just means Jesus, right? Well, yes, it does, but it has a lot of weight to it. In fact, if you were to go back, I've got it written down here, so I'm not going to turn there, but it's in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, in verses 13 and 14, there's a prophecy, and it says, Behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Speaking of the Son of Man, there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages, should serve him. His, the Son of Man, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. These good Jewish men were trained by good Jewish mamas and daddies, and they would have known, they had been in the synagogue, and would have known that the Son of Man, when He comes, He's setting up a kingdom. When He comes, there will be glory. When He comes, there will be dominion. And it's a dominion that will never pass away. They would have talked about King David in glowing terms. But they would have said, everything that you thought about David, the Son of Man is going to be that times infinity. He's going to be amazing. And they didn't see Jesus as a sacrifice. They didn't see Jesus as coming to pay for their sins. They saw him as a political leader, an earthly kingdom that he would be setting up. And you know what earthly kings did? Remember King Herod when he's talking to that woman that danced before him? What did he say to her? What do you want? Anything up to half of my kingdom. This was not an unusual phrase because it's actually uttered by King Ahasuerus in um, uh, Esther chapter 5, verse 3. He says the same thing. What do you want? Up into half of my kingdom. This was what kings would do. It's like when you're loyal to them, they will give you anything. And that's what James and John are seeing here is just another king, another political leader, and they say he thinks he's the son of man. We're going to hitch our wagon our our, our wagon to this horse right here. We're going to get on this because we're going to get something. We're going to get something out of this. We're going to make mama proud. That's what they had in their mind. But what they're missing is that Jesus is so much more than just another king. Jesus is amazing. He is interesting and he is important. I understand that. But he is so much more than just amazing, so much more than just interesting. He is so much more than just important. He is, and I'm going to use a word we don't use a lot, but it's a word, this this is an important word to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is above all else. There is no one like him. He is above everything that there is. So when these men come to Jesus, they are missing his preeminence. And I want you to see for just a few minutes, if you don't mind taking your attention to this, I want to just talk to you a little bit about the preeminence of our Savior. And I want you to see this in this passage. Because when he comes to them and they say, when, when he comes to them and he says, what, what, do you want, what can I do for you in verse 36? And they said, well, it's on your right hand and left hand. And Jesus' response to that is saying, you know not, this is in verse 38, you know not what you ask. He says, you don't understand. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? 
and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. He says, I'm about to participate in something. I'm about to take part in something that, one, I don't think you understand what I'm about to do, because clearly you don't, or you wouldn't ask me that to begin with. Second of all, even if you did understand it and you clearly knew you were going to have to do this, you, don't, you could not handle what I'm about to have to go through. This cup and this baptism, there's only one interpretation for this, and this is ultimately the judgment of God. Jesus Christ would endure the judgment of God Almighty. We know this in part because of references to the, in the Old Testament. I'll read one for you out of Psalm 75, where he says that God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. In the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture. He poureth out the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Clearly an, an association with the judgment of God being poured out on the wicked of the world. That's what, when we talk about the cup, when Jesus talks about drinking of the cup, he's not talking about like we might think about taking a communion, you know, drinking a little juice. That's not what he's talking about. He is actually saying, I'm actually going to drink of the dregs of the cup of the judgment of God. When he talks about his baptism, yes, we're gonna, we hope to one day, very soon, be able to put some people through the waters of baptism. I point up here to our baptismal pool, and we're actually going to do that. We have that as an ordinance of our church, and we're reflecting back to the sacrifice of God. But when Jesus Christ goes through baptism, he's saying, going through those waters, he is going through the judgment of God. He is reflecting for us that he is the one who's going to go through the judgment of God. And I want you to hear what he's saying. Yes, he goes to them and says in verse 38, do you think you, think you can do that? Basically, you think y'all can do that? They answer it, which we will go to in just a minute, but I want y'all to know it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, you can't do that. There's no way you can do that. There's only one person, a unique person in all of humanity who could ever go through the judgment of God on your behalf and my behalf. He alone stands in your place taking God's judgment. He alone provides the power, the ability to do that. He alone provides and secures the victory. He did at, at, the, at, the, at the grave. He comes out of the grave three days later victorious. Who did that? I had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. No man on this earth had anything to do with it. Jesus got up all by himself. His own power resurrected him. He is the one who provides the victory. He alone secures his victory by him alone. Over in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus is the high priest going into that holiest of holy, holiest places, and he goes in with his own blood and sprinkles the blood on the altar. Unlike the priests of the Old Testament would have to sacrifice a lamb and go into the holy of holies with the blood of another. No, he is prophet, he is priest, he is sacrifice, he is everything, he takes care of it all, and nobody else on the earth, nobody else in the universe could possibly do that. I want to say very quickly, I want to thank God when he answers our prayers. Thank God for the healing that he's provided. We even acknowledged a few of those this morning, and we're praying for more of that for others in our congregation. I want to thank God for his provision. I can say in my own life that there have been things that have been provided to me that there's no reason, humanly speaking, that I should have those things but I know the reason I have them is because God has provided them to me, and I'm grateful for that. 
But hear me very clearly when I say this next phrase, next statement. If you were to die right now, penniless, in pain, full of misery, but you were to wake up and open your eyes in the presence of God for eternity, you have everything ever imaginable, everything that could ever be given to in a person more than you ever deserve. Do you understand that that is provided to you by Jesus Christ? He is the one. No one else could do that. I'm so grateful for the help and the comfort he gives us in those troubled times. Don't some of y'all have that? You can say, thank you, Lord, for the help you've given me. But I want you to understand this, that at the cross, when Jesus died, when he hung there between heaven and earth, and the judgment of God was poured out on his body for your sins, that the worst thing in the world happened to you. The worst thing in the world happened to you. Your sin was rightly, justly judged in Jesus Christ. And if God never comforts you ever again, because of what Jesus has done, you've got more than anybody's ever deserved on this earth. If God never gives you another sense of his presence again, now don't get me wrong, I believe he will, but I'm trying to get you to understand the value of what Jesus has done, what Jesus did, and what he alone could do. He did something that no one else could ever do. He did something that not a person in this room ever, ever, ever deserved. He he hung on that cross. He had sin judged in his body, and he cried out loud, it is finished your sin is never to be brought up again if you put your faith in what jesus has done it's finished it's done it's taken care of everything else he does and doesn't he do so much more for us everything else that he does is just gravy on top of that that alone is worth the price of admission if i can say it that way to not denigrate the sacrifice of our savior but that alone is worth everything that alone is is above anything else we are to be seeing ourselves as nothing more than grateful beggars you see what james and john were thinking was that jesus was leading a political campaign and if you've ever worked on a political campaign i have much to my distress I have worked on a few and part of the reason that people work on those political campaigns is because you want a little something something from the guy who's running you want him to reward you with a job reward you with a reference reward you with his network that's what you're doing and that's exactly what they saw they Jesus is not leading a political campaign he's not leading a government coup again why do you join up with some rebel leader because you think he's stronger and he's going to be in position when he's in position he's going to put me over this or that he's going to give me some kind of a kickback on this that's what i'm going to do this for he's not starting up a business i don't know if any of y'all have ever been part of business startups some of you have been and you know that the reason you do that you can you can paint it any way you want to how you're trying to change the world not what are you trying to do you're trying to make a whole lot of money that's what you're trying to do And when you get involved with that, you're willing to put in the hours and the time and the sweat and all that because you know you're going to get a reward. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not starting a business. He's not trying to be the next big thing. And what we got to see is we're not in a position to be haggling over the investment, to be haggling over the rewards. We are to be understanding that what Jesus is involved in, let's let's just put it in real clear terms. 
Jesus was involved in a hostage rescue and recovery situation. You are not in a position to bicker over terms. You are sitting there and say, thank you, Jesus, because he is the only one who could ever do what he did for you. His sacrifice was preeminent. Of course, James and John, I have to admit, I don't want to get too hard on them because I think I tend to think like this sometimes. But I think they thought, well, whatever it is, Jesus, we can do it. In fact, you can see this in verse, uh, verse 39. Jesus just asked them, do you not know that you know, I, I'm going to do these things? Can you do this with me? And they answered, and they said unto him, verse 39, we can. <laughs> they thought, yeah, we could do that. Give us the cup. Where's that body of water? I can get baptized right now. Let's go. I'm in it. That's how they were thinking. They just think, let's do this. And Jesus tells them in response to that, he says, in verse 39, and Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. He is saying you will indeed, as Peter writes later in 1 Peter, he says that you will be partakers of the sufferings of Christ. They were indeed partakers of the sufferings of Christ. James, we believe, he was definitely killed with a sword over in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. He was killed by the sword. John, we understand, was tortured, was not killed for his faith, but he was tortured and ultimately put on an island called Patmos. We know that he was there as a, as a, a prisoner. We, he, while he was there, he wrote the book of the Revelation. But he, these men did indeed suffer for the cause of Christ. But their sufferings, while it's to be admired, it's not anything to be to any, get any kind of real glory over, not really. Now, I say that, please don't understand, please understand, I've not gone through any half of what they've gone through, so I'm not judging theirs. I'm just telling you, according to Jesus' standard, it's not worthy of what they're asking for. It's not worthy of that, because he says in verse, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 40, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it was prepared. See, he is saying, Jesus is kinder than I would be, he's saying, y'all ain't worthy of that. That's not your seat. It's not your place. He's not, that's not something that was prepared for you. It is for certain people. Who was it for? I'll tell you who it was for. That's for Jesus. The whole throne is for Jesus. The middle, the right, the left, it's all for Jesus. Only his name is the name by which we must be saved, Acts 4, verse 12. Only he is highly exalted and given a name which is above every name, Philippians 2 and verse 9. It's only at his name that every entity in the entire universe, in the sea, out of the sea, in the grave, in hell, everywhere, every person in the world, it's his name that they will bow, and it's his name that they will proclaim is Lord. Nobody else shares that with him at all. He alone is worthy of that exalted position. Now, please understand me. I am grateful, so grateful, for teachers and pastors and mothers and fathers and grandparents. I'm so grateful for friends and for neighbors who come alongside of me and 
help me and teach me and preach to me and encourage me and, and lift me up and show me the right things. I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful that some of them are willing to do so even at risk of their own reputation and their own health and their own well-being. And as much as we ought to say thank you, Lord, for that, whatever that person is, it's only Jesus that's worthy of real honor. And if they're, those teachers and preachers and everybody else, if they're worth what I think they are, they'll agree with what I just said. They will say, I didn't do it for me. It's not because I'm so good, but I wanted you to know the one who is. He is the only one who is worthy. I'm also grateful from time to time in my life, I've had some moments of exaltation. Some of y'all have too. I think back to when I was getting married. Man, that was a good day. I had a fun day on that day. It was great. I loved that. Had all kinds of people, people that loved me and Vanessa, and just came together, and we just had a great day. I, I remember when I got a new job, making a lot more money and new responsibilities, new town. I just like, man, this is cool. This is great. I remember when I was ordained to be a preacher of the gospel, it was an interesting service. It was a great service. Lifted my spirit up. My dad was the one who gave the charge, and I just felt the, the love and the support of Freedom Baptist Church and Crestview Baptist Church as they were getting behind me on all that. I just I thought that was great. And man, I was overwhelmed with emotions when I took over the, the pastorate of this church based on your support and your vote as a congregation. These are all moments in my life that I can look back and say that God provided that he paved the way for that he made that happen and i was exalted in a sense in a way but every reward that i've ever been given every gift that i've ever been given i will say the same for you every reward every gift that you've ever been given is not given to you because you're so awesome it is given to you as an opportunity to heap even more glory to the, the, the Savior, Jesus Christ, to give him even more. This is actually going to happen in heaven when we get those ultimate rewards for our lives. It will not be, oh, you're the most improved, you're the VIP. That's not how this is going to work, MVP. You're, not going to get, you're going to take those crowns. You know what you're going to do with those things? You're going to say, this, thank you, but this is for my Savior. This is for him. Because you want to understand that you are not worthy. I'm not saying that to be ugly to you. I'm just telling you there is one who you get to serve and you get to walk behind. And his name is Jesus and he is preeminent. His glory is preeminent. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about his glory. He is the only one who's worthy. Now this conversation that these men have, as you see in verse 41... It starts upsetting some people. Look, look what happens here in verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. I think I might have been among them. When you, what are y'all talking about over there? You're going to get a special seat? Where's my spot? You don't understand what I've done. You, I've given up all this and you're going to give him a spot? I, I would be right there and I'd, I'd be elbowing right there with the best of them. I know I would. And maybe it might be one or two of you that wouldn't, but most of y'all would too. Most of y'all would too. But Jesus says, now listen, folks, listen. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me tell you what we're doing here. Look what he says in verse 42. He says, he called them to him. He's called them all together, and he saith unto them, he says, 
you know they, that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. He, he says, now listen, I want you to, to remember here, first of all, I'm going to call you to myself. That's one of the things he's doing here. That's not by accident. He's calling them to, because you got to realize what we're doing here, we're not, we're not looking to anybody else. We're looking to one person. We're following Jesus. We're mimicking Jesus. We're pursuing him. We're staying in line behind him. And he says, if you're going to do that, then listen, you're not going to be like these people in verse 42. He says in verse 43, so shall it not be among you. He says, you're not like that. You're not those people. You're not like the rest of the world. You know how the rest of the world does leadership? Do as I do, not as I say. We can probably spend a long time here, which I won't, uh, just talking about one of our, some of our illustrious politicians who do this time and time again. You do, you do it that way, and you're bad if you don't, but I, I, rules don't apply to me. That's how they do. And that's how the Gentile world does. That's what Jesus says. And there are some people that they want that power to enrich themselves. He says there in verse, in verse 42, he talks about them exercising lordship over them, exercising authority upon them, this idea of lording over people. That's the, the sense in which he's using that, those phrases. He's saying there, I want these people to serve me, to meet my needs, to give me what I want. I'm in power. I'm better than they are. They owe me. That's the attitude that the world has. Jesus' people don't do like that. This is what Jesus said. I'm not saying that people that call themselves Jesus' people don't do that. I'm saying that real Jesus' people don't do that. That's not what they do. Here's what he says in verse 42. He says, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Jesus' people don't act like they're better than other people. Don't act like they have different rules than other people. And they're not focused on their own needs. But what they do is they sacrificially serve, they sacrificially minister, they help, they give to other people. Can we say it another kind of more direct way? Humility, sacrifice, and selflessness are required of Jesus' followers. If you do not have humility and sacrifice and selflessness, you can say what you want to say, but you're not in line behind the Master Jesus Christ. You're in line behind somebody, but you're not in line behind Him. Because we are actually powered by His example. Look with me in verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man, he uses that phrase again, the Son of Man, and I don't think it's by accident because they've got this equated with some kind of victorious king. And he is victorious, but we know that's in the future. He's not here yet. He's going to come back one day and take over this whole world. But he says that son of man, he himself, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus Christ did, I like the way Paul says it over in Philippians 2. He said that he thought, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. And then he takes on the form of a man, the form of a servant. This is what Jesus does. He humbly and sacrificially gives himself. 
He gives us the preeminent example. He does all of that. And you know what Jesus did when he did that? He paid the entire price for my life, for your freedom. So much so that when I go and give to somebody else, it doesn't cost me anything. I know it may hurt me, it may feel like a sacrifice, but do you know why I'm able to do that? Because of the example of what Jesus did. He went on the cross, not only did he pay my sin, but he actually gave me positive righteousness. He gave me the ability to do the right thing. And he made me able to love people, to serve people, and to help people. So if I'm really following Jesus, I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt. I'm not going to say that your bank account might not get a little low. I'm not going to say it might not take a little bit of your time that you don't have. I'm not saying any of those things, but I am saying it doesn't cost you anything. Not in the, not in the eternal sense. It costs you not a thing. Because you know how much, <laughs> do you know how much you owed to God? It was an unpayable debt. And he said, eh, I'll take that. And Jesus humbly and sacrificially took your debt away so that all you have to do is you owe no man anything but to love one another, Romans tells us. That is the only debt that I have. Why? Because of his preeminent example. He's the one that does that. So I can serve out of his abundance, abundant grace, out of his abundant sacrifice. I can just serve from that. He's already given that to me. So, because Jesus is preeminent, his sacrifice was preeminent, his glory is preeminent, his example is preeminent. I'm trying to think of what the, the charge to you needs to be. And the only way I can come out, only thing I can come out with on this is just to tell you, you've got to give up everything and just follow Jesus. If he's really as important as I said he is, if he's really is the, is the, is the, the above everything like I said he just is, and if you agree with that on any level at all, why in the world are you hanging on to anything else? He's either the most important or he's not, and you'll have to be the judge of that in your own heart of what you believe, but I can tell you what I'm trying to tell you is he is, and if that's the case, then you need to give up everything else in this whole world and just follow him. You'll never be able to sacrifice enough. You'll never be able to match his efforts. You'll never be able to match his accomplishments. You can't be glorious enough. Everything you do will always pale in comparison to his inherent worth and his inherent value. You'll have no resources from which to draw real leadership and real uh, direction. Every one of your attempts will be just poorly disguised power grabs. And all they'll do is sap your strength and the strength of everybody around you. That's what they do. Jesus is above all others. He's preeminent. You have to give up everything. That's what's meant by this saying, and I've heard it before. I don't know if you have or not, but it's a, it's a wonderful saying that we need to take seriously. Jesus is not just all that we have, or rather, not all that we need, excuse me. He's not just all that we need, he's all that we have. He's not just all that we need, he is all that we have. So my question is, are you truly following Jesus? Are you leaning on his sacrifice? Are you loving only his glory? Are you serving others by his example? Do you believe that he is enough? Do you? Don't, don't answer me. Answer, the, answer in your heart, do you believe that Jesus is enough? And if he's enough, are you willing to take all those ambitions that you have, those things that you think Jesus owes you, whatever you want to call that, 
and just say, you know what, that's not for me. That's not, I'm not going not gonna to demand that. I'm just going to say he's enough. He's enough. He's enough. And then start serving from his grace. Not yours. You're, you're not strong enough. You're not able enough. But serve from his strength and his grace. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.